G'day folks, welcome back to another episode of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray. It's episode 215 this week, the second to last one for 2023. And as promised last week, I've got Mark Ezler with me uh, this week to discuss the OpenSSF's recent announcement of their compiler options hardening guide for C and C++. So we will get through to that uh, in a bit. And I must apologize up front also for the, the audio quality there. It turned out uh, a bit average. So yeah, um, hopefully that's okay. Um, but first, we will do the usual roundup of security fixes that have gone into the supported Ubuntu releases over the past week. So we had 65 unique CVEs addressed by the team and the venerable GIMP was updated first. The GNU image manipulation program, uh, the graphics editor, in this case, uh, six CVEs were fixed for or all the recent versions of that. So from Ubuntu 20.04 LTS onwards, four of these CVEs are recent issues disclosed via Trends Zero Day Initiative and they were all found by the same researcher. Two of them were heat buffer overflows in the DDS and uh, PSD uh, parsers uh, and an inch overflow and a separate off by one in the PSP parser, uh, which could apparently lead to remote code execution plus a couple of denial of service uh, related issues. One of those was due to an unhandled exception that could be triggered and another one was due to excessive memory allocation that could also be caused through an image file and both of those therefore leading to a crash that have been fixed for uh, the GIMP. Uh, free RDP was updated then uh, for three CVEs as well, again for our more recent Ubuntu releases, so 2004 onwards. Uh, in this case, uh, this is obviously the Windows RDP client uh, in one of these vulnerabilities was where a malicious server could send a crafted drive redirect to the client, triggering an out-of-bounds read and therefore causing the client to disclose memory contents back to the server and therefore possibly sensitive info. Uh, now, you can, I guess, disable the use of drive remapping and things like that in your client to avoid that one. But yeah, that has been fixed. Plus, an out-of-bounds write and an out-of-bounds read that could be triggered through crafted image data being sent by the server. And again, both likely leading to a crash. Uh, the U-Boot variant for the uh, all-winner NEZA uh, RISC-V platform has been updated. U-Boot NEZA uh, was missing length checks in uh, the DFU parser. Uh, that's used for doing things like firmware updates and the like. Uh, that could result in a heat buffer overflow. And two other buffer overflows when handling fragmented IP packets were also fixed. Uh, PyPy, the kind of alternative Python uh, implementation was updated. Uh, one of these was an integer overflow leading to a buffer overflow in their SHA-3 implementation. And actually it looks like that comes from the original reference implementation of SHA-3, uh, otherwise known as Ketchak. Uh, it also affects a range of other packages in Ubuntu. So things like uh, PHP, uh, the normal Python as well, and obviously now PyPy as well. Uh, and then similarly, uh, PySHA3, so an implementation of SHA3 that's outside of the standard library was updated as well uh, for that same vulnerability. Uh, we had GStreamer bad plugins updated for six EVEs as well. In this case, uh, there was a heap overflow in the PGS subtitle OLA decoder plus various integer overflows that could therefore lead to heat buffer overflows, particularly in the MXF container handler. That's the material exchange format, which is apparently used for delivering advertisements to TV stations, as well as for movies in commercial theaters. So probably not being used by too many average desktop users. Um, but yeah, and that was specifically in the uh, handling of files that use the AES3 audio format, again, often used in more commercial audio environments. Uh, there was a use after free in that demuxer as well, uh, a buffer overflow in the AV1 video parser, and an inch overflow leading to a stack overflow in the H265 parser as well. So yeah, the same kinds of things that we see week after week here really this week, aren't we? 
Uh, OpenJDK was updated. Uh, so both OpenJDK 11 and 17 were updated uh, to the latest point releases. So 11.0.21 plus 17.0.19 for a couple CVEs. Those same two CVEs were also fixed for OpenJDK 8 across all uh, the supported releases that it's uh, supported in, and that's the 8U392 release from Upstream plus a couple others as well. Speaking of rolling in uh, the latest Upstream releases, Firefox in Ubuntu 20.04 LTS was updated to the latest Upstream release of 120.0.1. Well, this is a regression update because of a number of different regressions that came from Upstream in that uh, 120.0 release. In particular, it includes a fix where Firefox would crash immediately on startup, but only on uh, ARCH64, otherwise known as ARM64 platforms on Linux, when using page sizes other than 4K. Uh, essentially, um, machines can use uh, different standard sizes for uh, paging uh, on Linux. That's normally 4K, but you know, that can be variable. And uh, on Apple Silicon in particular, that's often 16K as far as I understand. That was what was happening in this case, where if, it was, if Firefox was used uh, in that environment it would crash immediately so that has now been fixed thanks to upstream firefox uh, request tracker was updated uh, for four cves uh, there was a possible timing attack that could be performed via uh, in the authentication module where essentially it would take a different amount of time uh, to respond if it was using a valid username compared to what it was using an, inv an invalid username because it would therefore look up the user, find a record for it and therefore try the password that you'd supplied whereas in the case that it wasn't invalid uh, username it obviously wouldn't try that password and so you could therefore tell oh, that's a valid user or not uh, and so that was fixed by always enumerating uh, the root user and uh, making sure that we kind did password lookup via that to make sure that you would still do a password lookup and still take the same amount of time. So an interesting way to fix that one. As well as uh, what else? There was a cross-site scripting issue there plus some info leaks that were fixed as well. Uh, the HA proxy, the high availability proxy was updated for one CVE, which was a mishandling of the hash or pound character, depending on how you pronounce that, uh, in URIs that could allow unexpected routing of uh, a URI containing something like, say, index.html hash.png. And so you can imagine that either looks like a request for a .png file or maybe it looks like a request for uh, the index.html with an anchor of .png. It really depends on how you parse that. And in this case, HAProxy was misparsing that and seeing the .png extension on the end and therefore uh, usually sending that then back to a static server because that looks like static content uh, and so it would route that request to the static server but in this case the request is really for index.html with say an anchor of cult.png so that was fixed uh, to fix up parsing of that Redis was updated for six CVEs and that goes all the way back to Ubuntu 14.04 uh, available through Ubuntu Pro there and all the way through to Ubuntu 22.04 LTS there was a heap buffer overflow in the CJSON library that was able to be triggered by a crafted Lua script and therefore result in remote code execution, which is interesting, I guess, if you think about it, because obviously Lua is a programming language and you know if you can have arbitrary uh, Lua scripts running, you've got some form of code execution there, but I'm guessing it must be in a more limited environment compared to when you can get, say, uh, code execution, in this case, through a buffer overflow where you can execute any shell code you want. Uh, what else? There was a race condition in setting permissions on the local Unix socket if you had that enabled, uh, in which case uh, at startup it would create the socket and therefore then go and fix up permissions. So if you were not using a nice restrictive U-mask there, uh, a local attacker could race Redis on startup to then go and connect to that socket and therefore be able to execute commands and the like. Also, uh, some various integer overflows and other sorts of issues were fixed there too. 
And finally, the kernel team has been busy pushing out new kernel updates for everyone. And so, yeah, I'm not going to go into a lot of details there because there's always a heap of uh, CVEs fixed in the kernel. Uh, and we've probably covered a lot of them recently anyway. But yeah, make sure you are installing your kernel updates if you've got them. Or obviously, if you've got live patch, make sure you're installing the live patches as well. And so you get some of your kernel vulnerabilities fixed without even having to reboot your machine, which is awesome. Okay, and that is it for the week in security updates. And so the other thing we wanted to look at this week was uh, the recent announcement from OpenSSF of their compiler options hardening guide for C and C++. And so I sat down with Mark Esler from our team uh, to discuss that uh, and yeah, to find out more from Mark about what OpenSSF is, uh, what this compiler hardening guide is all about, how that relates to Ubuntu. And we even got into some discussions there about things like Rust and memory safe languages and how that applies in the kernel and some other stuff too. So yeah. Stick around for a great discussion with Mark uh, coming up now. Okay, so I've got Mark Esler here from our team uh, to talk about uh, the recent announcement from the OpenSSF around their compiler hardening guidelines. Uh, hi, Mark. Hey, Alex. Hey, so thanks for joining me uh, today, Mark. Uh, so yeah, I'm wondering if you could just briefly, I suppose, introduce yourself and uh, I guess give us a bit of an idea about what the OpenSS, OpenSSF is. Uh, well, uh, I'm on the Ubuntu security team for a little over a year and a half, uh, based out of Minnesota. Uh, and I mostly do uh, security maintenance. I work on some of the, the audits for main inclusion and um, help with coordinating vulnerabilities mostly. Awesome. Yeah. Now, I know you've uh, been really active in the yeah, that CNA um uh, side of things for us in terms of assigning CVEs and things. And I think I'll, I'll have to get you back on the podcast to talk us more through what we do in that um, and how, how that works. I think that's probably a pretty interesting topic. But yeah, today we're talking about uh, the OpenSSF. So my understanding is they're an organization sort of devoted to improving open source security across the ecosystem. Yeah. I, I don't exactly know their history, but I believe after Log4j, uh, the U.S. government got a lot of money together to uh, fund open source security, and I, I think the OpenSSF came out of that. And so uh, they're part of the Linux Foundation. They, they're at the Linux Foundation events, and uh, they have a lot of different working groups. I was part of the, the C-hardening group, um, uh, but they also have stuff for coordinated vulnerability disclosure or SBOMs um, and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so it's just kind of like people from open source from all over getting together to talk about certain issues and then uh, they'll make guides about how to write a security policy or something like that. Yeah, it sounds like uh, Log4j really was uh, a bit of an eye-opener for a lot of organizations and I suppose it's nothing new to the places like us. You know, We've been doing open source security for a long time, uh, but I suppose that the press that that got and uh, maybe it's something to do with the Java ecosystem, I guess. You've got um, a lot of devices that have, like embedded devices, um, that probably haven't had software updates for years that may have been affected by that. And probably Java finds itself into lots of areas that maybe other language ecosystems haven't reached. And so there's a big long tail of things. So I think, yeah, that really was an eye-opener. And so maybe for good or bad, you know, that's uh, now starting to raise the bar in terms of security. Uh, and yeah, in this case, we're looking at um, compiler hardening. And compiler hardening is something that I guess we've looked at for quite a while in Ubuntu, trying to enable various compiler hardening options and things like that. Um, but yeah, can you give me a bit of an idea, I suppose, of what kind of things that um, we're looking at there? Well, so the uh, the guide is about different 
options you can use for compilers. And it, it focuses on GCC and Clang uh, for C and C++. So what this guy does is there's like certain uh, compiler options that recommends universally for everybody to use. They also uh, discourage certain compiler options. Um, and they'll, they'll list uh, things that are sanitizers for people who are writing software. So during the development process, use these additional flags, but you might not want to ship it in your package. And so compiler flags can be used for, for a lot of purposes. Um, the hardening flags we're looking at are ones that will protect a user. So if an exploit is found in a program and the attacker tries to use it, um, instead of the code executing the exploit, it will sag fault or give a warning. Or a compiler flag might uh, not allow the, the package to build and say, there's an issue in the code here. It needs to be fixed. Okay. So yeah, we're looking at, I guess, both compile time uh, things that help the developer, or in maybe in our case, I suppose, the packages, uh, mm -hmm. but then also things that will then help you at runtime. Um, yeah, I think that's like a really important distinction, I suppose, because uh, part of that is um, trying to make sure, I suppose, distributors of software like our, ourselves are, um, you know, making things as secure as they can be and that we're uh, catching those sort of errors and um, fixing the software that we're shipping to make it, uh, I guess, compliant and to fit in with those uh, different hardening features, but then also obviously protecting the users at runtime, which is something that we've, again, yeah, we've had a strong eye on for a while. And uh, I think the approach that we've taken in Ubuntu in terms of sort of baking these features or baking these options directly into GCC and turning them on in GCC is a, a choice we've made for a while, which means that anyone who is using GCC on Ubuntu to compile their software gets all of these options turned on as well. And so it means that not only are all the packages in the Ubuntu archive hardened, but it also means anything that you might compile on Ubuntu ends up being hardened as well. And I've, you know, I've always liked that approach that we're trying to, I guess, put security first or make it make it the default that you are secure no matter how you build your stuff. Yeah. Um, so in Debian, they use um, dpackage to, to build packages uh, for their archive, uh, which also involves GCC. But they enable the flags in dpackage. So uh, their package archive has hardening flags. But if you built something on Debian, it wouldn't have those. So if someone makes something on Ubuntu, like a snap or just a binary they, they publish, um, they'll get the default flags that, that we, we add to GCC. And just yeah. to hop back to another conversation before, um, the flags that are in this guide are also ones that are ready to be used broadly. They're you're not going to impact um, performance too much. Uh, so there's a balance between security and performance. Um, so this is what we think is is right. Yeah. And so I guess, yeah, well, can you talk to me a bit more about how you got involved in uh, this effort at the OpenSSF? Uh, well, so the my first interaction with the OpenSSF was at uh, the Linux Security Summit in 2022, uh, the North America one, um, which uh, Ubuntu Security attended. And there was a uh, roundtable discussion um, by the OpenSSF about um, uh, how to prepare for zero day. It was like, if if your project gets a zero day, uh, what have you done before then and after then to disclose it? Um, and that was ran by C-Rob. And um, uh, it, it was just a really good talk. And it kind of inspired me to also give talks on a similar subject. Um, so that was my first interaction. 
but uh, the GCC hardening flags was separate. Uh, so I got involved with uh, hardening flags at Ubuntu uh, that I like to see in GCC. And through there, I did a lot of research on what flags that we should add and comparing what other distros have. And so through, through that research, uh, a lot of the other people who are on this paper, um, they've, they've published about different hardening flags. Um, and I've been kind of researching what they've been publishing. Uh, and then there's a uh, OpenSSF. They work with, they work through GitHub primarily for creating these types of guides. Uh, so I, I found that online. I had some thoughts about that. I spoke to um, Case Cook, who used to be from what was on the Ubuntu security team, about some of his opinions, and uh, Sam from Jintu. So, so I, I kind of found the guide as it was being written because I was doing similar work. And then I started attending the working group, uh, which is a little early for me, but I try to make the meetings. And um, they were working on this guide, so uh, I was able to give input on the flags that I've been researching. Well, I think that's, uh, in this case, obviously, one of the real benefits of the open source ecosystem where you know, this guide was being prepared in public, uh, you're able to just kind of see that essentially kind of drive by, contribute to it, but then actually become you know, one of the main contributors as well to it and I guess help drive that um, to improve things overall. And I, you know, I think about back to when I used to work in other places and uh, we, you know, we would be involved in different standards bodies that would set standards around things, but those are usually behind closed doors and eventually the body will publish their standard that has been developed by uh, usually industry uh, players. So kind of a similar thing, but done all behind closed doors and then the standard comes out and then it may even cost money to buy that standard. Whereas in this case, everything is open, even the entire development process is open and almost anyone can come and contribute to that. And I think that that's such a, such a great benefit. I'm a little reluctant to say that I was a main contributor, uh, but the people I was working with are really kind of giants in this field. But uh, I was really happy I could contribute so easily, just kind of serendipity. I, I found the GitHub and uh, it worked out. Oh, no, yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah, some, like you said, some giants in the field on, on this list. Um, you talked earlier about targeting both GCC and Clang. And I'm, I guess I'm interested to know, do you know uh -huh. if all of the options kind of can be used on either compiler or uh, they some only work on one? Uh, yeah, so so there's they're going to have different feature sets. Uh, the Linux Plumber event, which happened, I think, last month, uh, Case Cook gave a talk there uh, with a few other folks. Uh, and they talked about that being an issue because if there's differences between Clang and GCC, um, there's possibly security impacts or code could could run differently. So, so there are differences, and the the guide will list which flags to enable in each. Okay, so if you're if you're looking at the guide, make sure I suppose that you refer to the right section for the compiler that you're using. And yeah, like I mentioned, you know, we've for a while enabled a, a lot of different hardening options in GCC. And this guide now includes, uh, I guess, some that we've probably had on for a while, but some new ones that we don't yet have enabled in Ubuntu. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that you've been working on um, trying to push that forward and to try to make sure that future Ubuntu releases will enable uh, these various options. Can you give us an idea, I guess, of how that work has been progressing and which, which flag in particular um, we're trying to target at the moment? Yeah, so the uh, particular flags are uh, Fortify Source um, and Fortify Source 3 specifically, uh, glibcxx assertions, 
and then uh, M branch protection uh, standard. So Fortify source, um, it mostly mitigates uh, buffer overflows, but also checks a few other unsafe libc uses. Fortify source two is currently in Ubuntu, uh, but three uh, massively increases the coverage of it. Um, there was some concern that there'd be some performance issues, um, but that's been shown not to be true. Uh, and so the, the flags that we're recommending should not have a major impact on a Bluetooth performance, but still adds security. Yeah, uh, I think that's a really important distinction. Um, although it is, it's interesting to consider the cases though, where uh, things like the various Spectre uh, mitigations and the like that end up in uh, either in the kernel or um, Intel microcode and other sorts of um, packages like that at the system level that uh, have a performance impact and yet uh, there unfortunately mm -hmm. isn't the same discussion between um, you know security benefit versus performance trade-off um, you know we just kind of usually have to accept that hit uh, so yeah but in this case yes I know that you've done um, a lot of work and others obviously in looking at uh, the performance impact of these and the ones in particular I suppose that we're targeting uh, do have a minimal performance impact which which is an important thing because ultimately uh, computers both want to be secure but also useful to people and we don't want to um, slow down all their workloads or you know have them incur now more costs because things run slower and take more cycles or whatever it might be and uh, so you mentioned fortify source i think the the assert the glibc mm -hmm. assertions that's a runtime feature is that right around kind of adding extra sort of bounds checking and the like at a certain gc uh, glibc operations yeah, basically, so there, there's another flag called uh, glibcxx uh, debug, uh, and it takes a subset um, of what that does, but only the ones that shouldn't have a major impact on um, like algorithmic complexity of a function. So there'll be a performance impact, but it's not going to be a big O impact. And, and so some of the uh, checks that we'll do is for uh, buffer length checks, and it will check m uh, memory regions. Yeah, and so... What a lot of these features do, you know, I, I compare it to, um, you know, C, so so through enabling these features, it makes languages like, like C and C++ safer to use. Um, but it's not necessarily, say, the same as uh, adopting a language like Rust or Go, which try to eliminate entire classes of vulnerabilities where essentially at compile time, they're able to either detect them and, you know, tell the development, you know, no effectively, um, mm -hmm. or, you know, the actual programming logic or syntax doesn't allow you to even express those kind of concepts um, whereas in this case uh, yeah, because of the nature of these languages we can't easily do the same thing and so instead we kind of turn a lot of these things into being say a denial of service where you know we'll raise an assertion or whatever it might be at runtime uh, so it turns potentially what might have been a code execution vulnerability now into just a denial, denial of service and you could still term that as a vulnerability, but I think that you know it's still a net win um, for the user because you've still essentially protected them at least against uh, that more direct impact that happens from from code execution and other kind of uh, effects. Yeah, a, a lot of people who work with C are kind of asked like, why not just switch to a memory safe language? And um, the kernel is asked about this a lot, uh, and so they want to use memory safe languages and they want C to be safer. And they're slowly introducing Rust into the kernel. But um, uh, Case Cook was asked this, and his response was, well, you know, we can't rewrite the file systems overnight. It's going to take a long time. So we're going to have C for a long time. It will take a long time for Rust to penetrate. But uh, the idea is really to meet in the middle. So we're going to take the best we can in C and the best we can do in Rust. 
and we'll provide the most secure system that we can because we're we're doing both approaches. Yeah, yeah, I think that the developments in Rust, particularly in the kernel, are really interesting. Um, yeah, it's very easy to say, oh, we should just rewrite all these things in Rust. And well, I mean, saying that, the counter argument to that is that I did see there was a patch set uh, proposed from Google about rewriting Binder in Rust, um, which is the uh, subsystem used on Android essentially for all of their IPC and message passing. Um, so it's a pretty critical component, both obviously in terms of functionality, but also the security of Android, you know, making sure that that um, you know, doesn't allow certain components to talk to each other or, or you know, maintain that kind of separation. And obviously, because it's parsing potentially untrusted data, you know, it's a, a big attack service as well. Um, so to see that, you know, is really cool to see something being written or rewritten in that case to be safer. Um, I haven't done it, but I was thinking it would be interesting to go back and look at how many CVEs in the kernel were actually in Binder itself. And I think there's there's, there's obviously enough that um, the developers thought that that was a worthwhile thing to do. So it will be interesting to see how that progresses. You know, the, the discussion amongst the upstream kernel developers around trying to handle both Rust and C and trying to do maintenance of a code base that or in a language that they're not familiar with, um, I think has caused a bit of friction there. So again, that will be interesting to see how that turns out. But it is cool to see uh, these developments and that, yeah, both, like you said, we're kind of meeting in the middle where you've got um, efforts like the Kernel Self-Protection Project to introduce initiatives to effectively make C a safer language or the uh, almost the dialect of C that the kernel chooses to restrict itself to um, means that it's a safer version of C than just, you know, all of the, the standard ways, all the all the various foot guns that exist in C that you can shoot yourself in the foot with, uh, you know, they've kind of eliminated a lot of that by you know, using clever macros and, and other sorts of things to provide safer constructs for developers to use. And then obviously, yes, writing things in Rust means you've now got a whole, you know, all that code, uh, unless you're using the, the unsafe primitives of Rust, you can um, have a good uh, confidence that they're both memory safe and hopefully thread safe as well. So yeah, it will be interesting to see how that does progress. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about Rust. And uh, next year, I'll be helping with um, um, getting a set of vendored packages for Rust. So it'll be the, the base set of Rust packages that are allowed in Ubuntu main, so that when someone wants to add a new Rust package, currently, the Rust ecosystem um, is not very mature. And we can't just call dependencies of Rust packages, and we vendor them into the package. And then this will uh, create a set of packages that we're going to say, this vendor package is okay, so you can add it to main and not need critical review, not need a close review. Yeah, I guess the, to sort of take a step back, the problem I suppose that we have as a security team is that but traditionally in the distro, there is say one version of OpenSSL and every package that wants to link against that uses that system install library of OpenSSL which then means that if there's a CVE in OpenSSL, we just patch the OpenSSL package and then everything that is using OpenSSL is effectively patched for free because it, you know, it's using that system copy. Whereas in the Rust ecosystem, like you said, it's very common um, for, um, well, uh, the Rust ecosystem is a bit more like, say, the Node.js ecosystem where you've got lots of small um, packages and so you then have a big dependency tree, first of all. So you have lots of dependencies that your package depends on, but then also the way things get packaged in Ubuntu is that those um, dependencies get vended into your package, which means they effectively have their own copy of that code sitting in your package. Uh, and that then means if there's a vulnerability in one of those dependencies, we now have to patch that in lots of packages, not just in the one package. 
And so does that mean then, Mark, you're saying so that the work you're doing means that we will have, like, say, a single copy of one of those dependencies in the archive that everything can depend on? Or is it more about trying to um, auditing packages to say that we're confident that we can maintain them from a security point of view, but then we would still need to track those different vended copies and patch them separately? Yes, it's both those things. So on, on one hand, we need to do basically what we do in the main inclusion review. We have to review uh, these vendored packages and then say that, you know, if you want to add this package, these are things that are already safe. We, and when we're doing the main inclusion review, we don't need to look at that portion. And then the other half is we need a way to track all those vendor dependencies and then find a way where we can fix it. And maybe our team or teams that own that specific package. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's more the the case of we're still going to have lots of vended copies of code, but we're going to develop systems that allow us to more accurately track those, but then also quickly patch them as well across all of those different packages that copy them. Sorry, my, my, my cat was made, made a pretty large yelp there. That's good. <laughs> I might leave it in, we'll see. <laughs> cool, all right. Um, awesome. Well, thanks, Mark. Um, yeah, it's been really awesome talking to you about all of this uh, today. And like I said, I think I'd like to get you back to talk about uh, the CNA work that we do and um, how all of that ecosystem works. I think that's a super interesting topic as well. But yeah, thanks all. Uh, thank you so much for giving us uh, a great rundown of compiler hardening in OpenSurf and in Ubuntu as well. Thanks for having me on, Alex. And thanks again, Mark. Yeah, I'll definitely have to get you back to talk to us all more about uh, CVE and naming authority, uh, CNA activities within the Ubuntu security team and how that all works, you know, how we assign CVEs and manage all of that and do coordinated vulnerability disclosure and the like. I think that would be awesome. So yeah, I expect a call from me in the future, Mark. Okay, so that is it for this week's episode. As usual, thanks everyone for listening again for another week. If you want to get in contact with the team about anything you've heard on the podcast or anything else Ubuntu security related, you can always email us security at ubuntu.com. You can come and chat to us over IRC in the Ubuntu security channel on libera.chat or you can reach us at Ubuntu security at fosterdon.org on Mastodon or any of the rest of the Fediverse as well. Okay, so I'll be back again with you all next week for the last episode of the year. But until then, remember, keep calm because we've got your back and I'll speak to you soon. Bye.